Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there. Good to be back here in studio Gangland Wire. I have a uh, Kansas City story, but it kind of stretches out to Las Vegas. You're going to hear uh, a little uh, uh, tidbit, a little interesting teaser about Oscar Goodman, the famous mob lawyer, which, as you know, I've done a story about. So, welcome, Frank Hayde. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Frank. Thanks for having me back, Gary. Now, we did another show about the mafia and the machine is uh, like the history of the mob in Kansas City. So Frank Frank is steeped in the, the mafia in Kansas City. And, and go back and check that show out. I think I titled it The Mafia and the Machine. And But whatever, you can find it. You know, Google Frank Hayde, H-A-Y-D-E on YouTube or, you know, Gangland Wire and Frank Hayde, Mafia and the Machine, you'll, you'll find it. And I'll have a link to it down below, guys. We're going to talk about his new book, Mafia Dreams, A True Crime Saga of Young Men at the End of an Era in Kansas City. Now, Frank, you told me this is about these young guys that came along after we did the strongman caper and all the old guys, Nick Savella died, Corky Savella and Tuffy DeLuna and Tony Ribe Savella and, and Charlie Martinez, all of them went to jail for long periods of time. And these are the next generation of the mobs guys. So, uh, Frank... Uh, Start telling me, how did you get into this book? How did you get into this? It's an interesting story with some twists. Right. Well, you know, after I wrote The Mafia and the Machine, I, I worked with the DiCapo family, and we wrote The History of Italian Gardens Restaurant. It's this very iconic restaurant in Kansas City. It was downtown at 12th and Baltimore for 75 years, run by the same four, fa four families that were all interrelated by blood and marriage. Uh, it was a real icon of the city, very much a landmark restaurant. And you can kind of experience the history of Kansas City through the history of Italian gardens. So that was a really fun book, fun project. And that's how uh, I got clued into this story. The DiCapos and other people that were closely associated with Italian gardens mentioned this story. And it is uh, it was featured to a very small degree in the Italian gardens. We just kind of scratched the surface with it in that book. But I wanted to dive deeper into it because it was a fascinating story. And it centers around these guys who you might call the young Italians. Gary, I know that uh, you were still, I think, on the PD uh, at the time that the initial young Italians investigation got started. The FBI actually labeled it the young Italians. <laughs> right. And looking into drug dealing and and drug ripoffs and and all that, these young guys were wanting to score big. And you know, prohibition's over, and gambling's kind of on its way down. The old guys got that sewed up, but narcotics is the next money maker. So go ahead. Right, you know, it was a big drug case that involved elements of the KC mafia and the and a Colombian cocaine cartel. So the young Italians, uh, that name kind of grew out of one particular drug case that involved the elements of the KC mob and a Colombian cocaine cartel. Pretty soon the, the label kind of expanded and got applied to uh, any young Italian guy who was aspiring to be part of this next generation of Kansas City mobsters. Interestingly, uh, for the purposes of my book, the most prominent young Italian uh, in this story was a non-Italian and Joe O'Reilly. We'll shift gears a little bit here to, to 
give you some background on who Joe Riley was and uh, why he is really the main character. Now, now oh, Joe, Riley, Joe Riley, I, I remember him, and he was one of those guys who used to call him uh, a peckerwood that wanted to be an Italian. <laughs> he was a white guy that wanted to be an Italian. It, it used to see that periodically. So <laughs> go ahead. Joe, Joe Riley definitely wanted to be Italian. Everybody seems to agree on that. And uh, he definitely had gangster ambitions. And it's an interesting thing. He, he was the son of a man named Farrell Travis Riley. Went, basically went by Travis Riley. And Travis Riley was an, uh, a juggernaut of insurance fraud in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. And he was known as the biggest con man in the insurance business on a national level. Basically, he he ran insurance scams in um, a dozen different states. Uh, when when regulators would catch up to him in one state, he would move on to the next. And this was actually before there was any federal laws um, regulating the insurance industry. It was all state by, back then. And so Travis Riley figured out the, the vulnerabilities in the system, and he learned how to uh, exploit these loopholes and uh he he made millions and millions of dollars what would be an what would be an example of of how that worked one, one particular well it gets you know i don't want to get too far down in the weeds and it's of course it's all you know explained in detail in the book yeah but um you know imagine he had he had a dozen different ways to, to make money through scamming and insurance companies uh, he would scam other insurance companies he would stiff policyholders. He would, um, you know, sell sell policies that he never intended to pay on, or or only would pay only ten or fifteen percent of. Um, you know, it it gets really complicated uh, and pretty fascinating. This was big time white collar crime. It was actually international in scope. Travis Riley had shell corporations uh, in the Dominican Republic. He had shell corporations. Now, in other parts of the Caribbean, he had connections to Bolivia and to parts of Europe. He was working with international, you know, criminals from other countries. So this is the operation that the that Travis Riley and his own family. He had a fairly large family. He had five kids, and they were all involved. Most of them were involved in this uh, crime enterprise this insurance fraud enterprise and the Riley family was basically a crime family unto themselves. And they landed in Kansas city in that in 1991 after, uh, meeting insurance fraud, big time insurance fraud in a whole bunch of other States. And at this point, they're pretty notorious, even on the national level. Um, you know, you had the FBI investigating them. You had, uh, congressional committees, looking into Travis Riley uh, and and uh, using Travis Riley as an example of why the insurance industry needed to be federally regulated, et cetera, et cetera. This Riley family, this crime family unto themselves, they show up in Kansas City in 1991. And at this time, you know, as you know, Gary, this was after straw man. So the big guys had, had gone to prison um, and some of the others Old guys had died off, and it was a pivotal time for the mob in Kansas City. Things were not looking good. 
things were on the wane, they were on the decline, but it was still happening. You know, the strawman uh, investigation was a crippling blow, organized crime in Kansas City, but but it did not eliminate the mob in Kansas City. So things were still happening. There was still action on the streets. And this is the city that Joe Riley, young Joe Riley, the youngest member of the family, stepped into. And, you know, he had seen the Scorsese films that were popular around this time, Casino and Goodfellas and that sort of thing. And he was really enamored with the mafia life. And so when he finally found himself in a mafia town, he started looking for ways to experience the action. And that's when he started going down to Italian gardens down to Baltimore, making friends down there. Um, he really kind of uh, made a splash down there, I guess you could say. Um, his very rash personality, you know, he, he he really tried to play the part of a mobster. I mean, he was wearing, hand, you know, tailored suits and Churchill cigars and sunglasses and slick back hair. His kid's only 19, <laughs> 19 years old, but this is how he dressed, you yeah. know. First, people just kind of laughed at him, but uh, and they figured out they kind of liked the guy, and he was fun to have around, and he was kind of the life of the party, and he was also very generous with his money. He was always spreading the money around because mm. again, the, the Riley family was living in a big mansion west of Loose Park. They were hosting a lot of parties, you know. They uh, Joe was the kind of guy that always picked up the tab, so he ingratiated himself with a lot of the other. The young Italians, you know, guys who were his own age, who had either already had connections to the crime family or who aspired to be part of that life. Now, Doe Riley is tagging along with that. There's a little bit of background on on Joe Riley. Yeah. What else would you like? Gary? Now, though, the FBI, if I remember this story right, the FBI is looking at his dad the white collar crime squad has been hip to his dad and so they're looking at his dad and and the white collar crime squad not the one squad or the uh, uh, organized crime squad starts looking at his dad and and they open up an investigation or they bring one in from another city i'm not sure which but they start looking at his dad and and i guess that is that how they got onto this kid and hanging out or i don't really you know see i don't remember him, his name ever being mentioned, and we didn't really watch those young guys down at the uh, Italian Gardens. That was not really exactly a mafia hangout uh, like some of the other, a couple other joints were. So how right. did they get on to them? They start investigating his dad, if I remember right, and then noticed him and looked at right. him as a weak link. Is that, if I remember Yes. Right? Yeah, that's, uh, your memory is pretty good there. That's exactly what happened. You organized, uh, excuse me, the white collar crime squad uh invest in kansas city uh investigated travis riley for about six years before they were finally able to indict him and uh they put together a very strong case a very sprawling complex case it's all very interesting it's all documented in the book you know and travis riley and his his wife joe's stepmother were convicted and sent to prison but while they were uh, awaiting, there was about an 11-month period between the time they were convicted and when they were sentenced. And during that time, they continued their insurance rack. And so the FBI opened up another investigation. And at that point, they decided that Joe Riley was kind of the 
gateway to to try to determine what um, Riley family was still up to. Doe had 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 to step up and take sort of a leadership position in the Riley crime family, and so the FBI started investigating him. That led to sort of overlapping investigations with the organized crime squads. You've got the white collar crime squad investigating the Rileys, organized crime squad, which at this time was led by Agent Doug Fensel, who uh, a lot of people, they will, you know, a lot of wiretappers will uh, recognize his name. He was heavily involved in the Bonnie Brasco case in New York with, uh, you know, Sonny Black and and Lefty Two Guns Ruggiero and those guys. So, you know, after, after eight, yeah, Doug Fensel's a good friend of yours, Gary, and I, I know he's been on the show before. He he left New York and came to Kansas City and ran the organized crime squad in Kansas City. He was investigating the young Italians, including Michael Albanese and Nick Lanfranca. And these are other key names of uh, you know guys that became close to Joe Riley and got wrapped up in this whole story. Names that are prominently featured in this book. You had kind of uh, a merge. You had big time white collar crime sort of colliding with the gritty underworld of a mafia town. That is really the theme of the book here. And then a the whole thing kind of interesting turn when Joe Riley got involved with someone who I know you're very familiar with. That would be Jimmy Duarte. The way that played out was that at, in at Italian Gardens. You know, Jimmy Duarte was a regular at Italian Gardens. And Joe Riley eventually he was spending so much time there that he met Jimmy Duarte. And Joe Riley ended up actually working at Italian Gardens. John David DiCapo got him a job there. And so um, he got even closer to Jimmy Duarte at that time. And pretty soon um, they were sitting down at the Sabenedica table, which was kind of this well-known table where the regulars sat at Italian Gardens and and let me, uh, let, they let, developed a relationship. Let me say one thing about Jimmy Duarte, guys. I've got an old show on Jimmy Duarte. I, Jimmy Duarte was my first target, and Jimmy Duarte was a old school mobster out of the '30s and '40s. Uh, he was the nephew of uh, Joe, uh, not Joe Florido, of Tano Lacoco, who were, was involved in hits. Got caught in a in a hit in the '30s with Charlie Gargata, who was, you know, these were like the the mafioso of the 30s and 40s. And so Jimmy Duarte, he is the kind of guy that also was a fixer and, and a connector and, and would, you know, like find somebody like Joe Riley and, and say, well, what can I use this guy for? Can I get anything out of this guy? So that was Jimmy Duarte, old school mobster that used to go there a lot because he was related somehow to some of the Bondins or something. I, I got a whole story about him selling them some ribs that fell off a truck down at the uh, Deca- down at Deca- or, uh, the Italian guards. But yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to let everybody know. Well, if you don't mind, I'll just, I'll, you know, I, I interviewed you, Gary, for this book. And I thought you had a great quote on Jimmy Duarte. So I'll, I'll just read it straight out of the book, if you don't mind. Sure. Just a couple of short paragraphs here. Retired KCPD detective Gary Jenkins investigated Duarte for crimes including extortion, bribery, conspiracy to commit arsons and bombings, attempted murder, 
and even small time stuff like delivering slabs of frozen ribs to area restaurants in an unrefrigerated truck. Jimmy Duarte was one of the last real gangsters by the 1990s, said Jenkins. He was a big man, about six foot two and 250 pounds. He was big in personality as well. And when he came into a joint or a restaurant, everybody knew he was there. He had a license to operate in any manner he chose in the south part of Kansas City. He owned a bar called the Old Fortress, where BB's Longside Barbecue is today, and he controlled a crew of professional criminals. He had the perfect personality to run a bar where professional criminals, cops, other blue-collar workers gathered to drink and play pool. Southside burglars, boosters, and bar owners, Jimmy Duarte was the mafia. So that's uh, direct from our host. Oh, good. That's a good quote. <laughs> that's a good quote, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it there's a lot of other. There's some other very, uh, very interesting um, information about Jimmy Duarte in this book. Some of which I think is going to be new to even you, Gary. Oh, really? Oh, well, uh, I'm really anxious. Especially, <laughs> especially with his uh, his relationship with Joe Riley, which yeah. was not well known. Yeah, see, I didn't know. I didn't know it at all. I was like the Duarte expert, and I didn't know it at all. So let's. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's when you, you know, that's when. Uh, some eyebrows started to rise like Joe Riley up to that point was really thought of as a as a wannabe he was a wannabe gangster and it was kind of cute and kind of fun and kind of silly there was this rich kid with a silver spoon in his mouth you know who who hanging out with with Italians hanging out with a lot of older people he was always the youngest guy in the room he he wanted to be Italian he wanted to be a gangster but nobody really took it seriously started you know some agent people in law enforcement started to discover hey you know this guy's actually got a relationship with jimmy duarte what's the what's is this guy really a wannabe or is you know is there something more to this and that's uh one of the questions that you'll have to read the book to find out you know the degree to what whether or not joe joe riley was just a wannabe or uh you know a genuine gangster as the events would play out it would, we'll find out in the book that, that Joe uh, was not, ended up, it turns out he was not afraid to pull the trigger. This story really culminates in a reverse drug sting set up by the FBI that involved Joe Riley, Michael Albanese, and Nick Lanfranco. And in that reverse drug sting, Joe Riley did pull a trigger and he did shoot somebody he shot to kill and uh he himself then ended up shot by the fbi and then this story gets even more interesting from there really michael albanese was charged with the murder of joe riley even though he was sitting out in the car at the time that the shooting took place inside a motel room you might say well wait a minute it was an fbi agent that shot and killed joe riley how does Michael Albanese get charged with the murder of his friend? And that gets back to uh, the felony murder statute in Missouri, which is one of the harshest in the nation. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. And there's a, a chapter on felony murder in the book. Uh, Michael Albanese, make a long story short, he served 25 and a half years in state prison uh, for felony murder of his friend, right? who was shot and killed by the yeah now if i remember that story right reading even reading the newspapers at the time 
some of the testimony during the trial, they, the, uh, and I know some guys that I was gone from the intelligence unit by the time that went down, but some people from the intelligence unit and the FBI, they, they were following Albanese and, uh, and Nick Lanfranco pretty much that whole day before this meet was set. And, and the Bureau knew this meet was set. They had, they had, had some guy, I don't even remember who he was, he was an informant, he's probably long gone in witness protection now, uh, made this deal with Joe Riley to sell him, uh, I don't know, several kilos of narcotics, I believe. Right. And so, you know, they, they pull up and, and the cops have been following him all day long. And, and there's one thing when, I know one of Albanese's, and we I know you probably get into this, one of Albanese's defense was, well, you know, I didn't know what he was doing. Well, right. there, there was a cop that testified that they saw him get on the phone and then they got Nick Lanfranca, who was in the car, to testify. And he testifies that Albanese was on the phone with Joe Riley and they were setting all this up. So, uh, you know, it was it was really hard for him to I, I can see how he got found guilty. But, it you know, it, it does seem like a bitter pill to swallow. <laughs> your cops kill your friend and they, and they charge you with the murder. Yeah, you know, uh, and then Dick Lanfranca, you know, turned state witness and, and uh, right against Albanese. Um, Albanese never did that. He he honored the old code of yeah. America and, and never uh, never spoke out against anybody, which is one reason why he pulled the he, you know, served the entire twenty five and a half years that he was sentenced to. But but Nick Lanfranca did turn state with state's witness. Uh, he became a rat in the parlance of the streets, much to the chagrin of, of, um, young Italians, Albanese, and, uh, the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, but, during this time, you know, we don't want to give up too much about that. That's a really exciting part of the book. There was something else going on in the city, the Boston movement. And a lot of people don't know about the Boston movement. So tell us about what you learned about the Boston movement. Yeah. That's an important part of this book. So in the early nineties, uh, right about the time Joe Riley and his family landed in Kansas City, this Boston movement sprung up. That really got Joe Riley interested, you know, in, in what was going on potentially within the Italian community that he so badly wanted to be a part of. But Boston was really started by a prominent defense attorney in Kansas City named Sam Mirabli. Sam Mirabli was, uh, had, had a lot of clients, you know, who were alleged to be associates of, of organized crime. And um, there was a couple of gambling cases at the time. One, one in particular targeted uh, Pete Simone, who was alleged to be the underboss of the, and is still to this day alleged to be the underboss of the Kansas City crime family. Uh, and so, you know, in the grand jury uh, process, you know, you, you, the, the grand jury will subpoena various uh, witnesses to come testify before the grand jury to gather information to try to, decide if they're going to indict that subject or not. And so they uh, subpoenaed a lot of local gamblers and a lot of the sons and all of nephews um, of men who who um, were under investigation. And a lot of those were the young Italians, and they refused to testify for the grand jury, and so they got sent to prison. They were offered immunity. They said, I'm still not testifying. 
And so they sent 20 guys uh, away to federal prison because they wouldn't testify against their friends and their family members. And by the time this movement started, there were still 11 of those guys in prison. So they became known as the Basta 11. Sam Mirabli started this organization. It grew to over a thousand people. They flew banners over chiefs games. They flooded the courthouse with letters. They got a lot of publicity uh, in other cities, even over in Italy. You know, and the whole premise was that the federal government, the FBI in particular, was uh, persecuting Italian Americans. It was unfair and unjust to expect a uh, young man, for example, to testify against his father or his uncle uh, when he himself was charged with no crimes, you know, things like that. And so it gets pretty interesting. And it was a big movement in Kansas City back then during this time. And uh, some of the young Italians who uh, went to prison for refusing to testify in the Boston movement, which was basically an illegal gambling case, um, also got wrapped up in that drug case we talked about earlier that really gave the young Italians their name. So there was some overlap there. Uh, but all this was going on. And uh, Sam Mirabli, he uh graciously participated in the book he was very uh generous with his time and i appreciate that you know i interviewed a lot of people for this book several of them gary you introduced me to uh, people on the law enforcement side people um who are convicts people who are defense attorneys so really you know uh tried to remain neutral and uh I'll get perspectives from both sides because there is a lot of controversy in this book, a lot of controversy about uh, who did what and who's guilty of what and who's not guilty of what. And um, harsh sentencing, uh, the felony murder rule, some of the investigative techniques and the reverse drug sting itself became very controversial. Um, and then there's, uh, and there's the, and then there's Oscar Goodwin. Ah, yeah. Save the best for last here. We well, just, you know, you teased him a little bit. Beginning. Yeah, and I'll just drop a little teaser <laughs> okay. out there. You know, uh, everybody by now is, you know, at least our, our listeners here, our wiretappers, uh, are probably pretty familiar with who Oscar Goodman was and his relationship to the guys in Kansas City. You know, he he represented the Savillas for many years, going back to late 60s, early 70s, when, with Nick Savilla and the Super Bowl gambling charges. And he uh, represented... Kansas City guys uh, during the straw man case. Uh, he was the most well-known mob attorney in the country, and then he later became the mayor of Las Vegas. Very colorful guy. I've read his biography. Uh, he's a fascinating individual. And uh, But I really, in this case, Oscar Goodman didn't only defend you know, Nick Sevilla and Carl Sevilla, Carl DeLuna, and these guys. Uh, he had another very big case in Kansas City that very few people are aware of, and that was a uh, case of James Whiney, who was a very close associate of Travis Wright. And James Whiney was involved in maybe one of the biggest uh, insurance fraud cases in, in, in history. It was a $136 million fraud against Mutual of Omaha. And this was back in the 80s, so whatever two hundred. $36 million is worth today. I'm not sure, but it was a staggering amount. 
at the time anyway, Jim Whining was a huge um, insurance fraud. He was very closely associated with Travis Riley. Uh, and then later he turned, well, I'm going to, I'm going to save this. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Oscar Goodman represented Jim Whining in Kansas City. There's a very interesting element to that case. I think some people will be very surprised to hear uh, and Oscar Good. All right, cool. Well, Frank Hayde, the uh, Mafia Dreams, guys, I'll have links to it down below, and it's, uh, it's a fascinating story. I know a lot more little side stories. You know, one of those side stories, my friend Steve St. John was up at Leavenworth, and uh, Travis Riley was up there, and he, he told me this story that he happened to walk into some place, and there's this guy crying. And, and Steve's kind of guy that he, he wants to help. So he walked into the cell with the guy and, and he said, you know, you're all right, man. He said, what, what's wrong? He said, I just found out my son was killed. And when he found out later, you know, what the whole deal was, that was Travis Riley. So, you know, it's uh, just a lot of Kansas City connections, but then uh, a lot of connections outside of Kansas City, too. And with the... Yeah. The mob it's just amazing story yeah there's some really interesting information here about uh, claire mccaskill who had, uh, prosecuted mike albanese in a case prior to, mm -hmm. to the one that's mainly feet there's a albanese was involved in a couple of big cases prior to um to the fatal reverse <laughs> drug sting i, I got still i got a story on that one i don't know if uh, i ever told you this so i'm working dog watch that time that one night we have this entertainment district called Westport, and people late at night when the bars would close down, they would just cruise real slow around and around and around, honking their horns and having fun. And so all the dog watch guys, I was sergeant and dog watch, were sent down there to kind of keep things rolling, and there'd be fights, so there'd always be a lot of calls. And we got a call on a stabbing. So we go over, and, and there's a black... Cadillac sitting there and looked like a gangster car. There's a pickup truck right behind it, an old kind of crappy pickup truck, and there's a dude from Oklahoma laying on the ground, bleeding like a stuck hog. Called the ambulance, a guy dies. So we run the license, of course, on the Cadillac. We got enough from witnesses that said, you know, there was some young, uh, kind of dark complected, black haired guy, you know, got out and got in an argument with this guy. There's some horn honking going on, some yelling, and it, and all of a sudden he ran off. And left his car there so it was michael albanese's car and and he got in an argument with this guy and and stabbed him and killed him and then he got off with the self-defense police so uh, he must have, i don't know if he had john o'connor at the time that's who he had on the last case but but somebody got him off maybe he had sam robley on that uh sam definitely represented mike on 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 that case and, okay. and one or two others um but yeah uh, that's a that's that's a summary, and there's more detail on that case in the book. But Claire McCaskill, who later became U.S. Senator from Missouri, she she prosecuted Albanese on that case. And there's an interesting side story involving Claire McCaskill. Um, there's an interesting side story involving uh, Nick Van Franca's cousin and a and a bombing took place down in Texas. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, interesting material in the book i like to think of this in a way the book stands on its own but i in a way it's a sequel to the mafia and the machine in the sense that mafia and the machine and the other treatments of the casey mob all pretty much ended it was straw man in the 80s so this kind of pushes things forward gives people a glimpse of what was going on in the underworld in kansas city in the 1990s right. and 
Yeah, Gary, if I could just mention one last final thing, I'd appreciate it. And that's just that the, um, the book's available on at the Book Baby store. Book Baby store. You just go to the Book Baby store and then um, enter either my name or, or Mafia Dreams, and the book will come up. Super easy to purchase. Same price as Amazon, but independent uh, writers are yeah, able to keep a little bit more of our yeah our royalties uh, when it's purchased. Right? So I'm sure do appreciate I got you. Yeah, guys, and there'll be a link in the show notes. So uh, just right. hit that link and it'll go right to it. You got to get that book, man. <laughs> it's a good one. Well, Gary, I'm going to get your copy in the mail today. Yeah, yeah. And thanks again for your help with the book. Uh, you gave me that great quote on Jimmy Duarte, and you also introduced <laughs> me to to a couple of the people that I interviewed for the book. All right. Great. Frank, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I really appreciate you being here, and, and I'm anxious to get this put out there. Thank you, Gary. Well, guys, don't forget, I like to ride motorcycles, so watch out for motorcycles when you're out there. And if you have a problem with PTSD, go to the VA website, if you've been in this service, and get that hotline. That'll help you out quite a little bit. And uh, if you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, our friend Anthony Ruggiano has a hotline. Uh, just go to YouTube and, and find him on, uh, I shouldn't promote the competition, but I don't care. Uh, find him and, and get that hotline number. If you go down to Florida, take treatment. We're at his treatment center where he works. Why well, hell, you might have him as a counselor. So thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate you all tuning in. Be sure to like and subscribe or maybe give me a review once in a while. Thanks, guys. <laughs>